time. Our analysts break down fights, bring you pre-bout predictions and previews, plus talk all things MMA, from the UFC to Bellator. It's every show in between. If it's a fight, we have you covered. Are you ready? Baseline Times presents TJ Labello, Josh Thomas, and Cody Gwynn with Baseline MMA. Hey, welcome back. It is the latest edition of Baseline MMA as we're talking all things from Fight Island, which really, that's, that's going to be really everything because that was a wild event with a lot of fallout, plus a lot of things going on in the MMA world. Uh, I'm Cody. Josh here with us as well. Josh, what's happening on this uh, Wednesday night? Recording on a Wednesday up? night. What is that, brother? There's a lot of things to talk about, man. It was a, a wild pay-per-view. It's always fun to uh, recap the pay-per-view events because now, you know, there's always some good stuff happening. So uh, we'll dive right in, man. UFC 253, UFC back in Fight Island, Abu Dhabi, and two title fights on the line. Uh, you know, look, man, through the first uh, two main card fights, I was feeling pretty good about my every fight going to decision feeling. I thought I was, I was, I was killing it. And then the last three fights all end and finish. So, uh, hey, that's all right, though. But, uh, you know, look, man, I'll give you some credit, Josh. Two title fights, you, you were pretty right on the money with, with both of them, pretty much. Man, I tell you what, I didn't, I didn't choose this life. This life chose me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. It, it, man, there were some great fights. Even, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of get discouraged when, when a lot of the fights start going, you know, 15 minutes, 25 minutes. I actually kind of like those fights, though. Um, you know, because we, we get to see a lot of really cool transitions. You know, you see some really cool striking sequences, some grappling sequences. But, uh, man, it was it was a really good pay-per-view overall. Um, a little bit of fuckery happening, which is kind of like the new the new normal. You know, it is 2020 <laughs> and, and whatnot. Um, where do you want to where do you want to start at? You want to start with uh, Diego Sanchez? Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, what. A- just it's just crazy, man, that, that we're still talking about Diego Sanchez in 2020. And this has been a crazy year. And, you know, Diego Sanchez, one of those guys that's hanging around and he's went through a lot of uh, just a lot of different eras when you really Soul think about searching. it. I mean, really, and he, he's he's changed his persona a few times. Almost almost reminds me of a good old fashioned pro wrestler. We've seen so many different versions of Diego Sanchez. Uh, this Diego Sanchez we've seen this weekend, man, that might be the, the cherry on top. Trying some just uh, absurd flying knees. For some reason, I believe Jorge Masvidal possessed him for a little bit, just not fully. And uh, he, he's fighting against a young veteran in Jake Matthews, and Jake just sort of pours it on him. Uh, third round was, was hard to watch at times. Uh, I mean, come on. I mean, this has to be it, right? I mean, I don't know what else, what else can – you know, what else needs to happen? I mean, are, are we, is the UFC wanting Diego to go out by getting just knocked to oblivion? I mean, do they want to see him get knocked unconscious? Like that has to be it, right? There's no way we do this again. Man, I actually choked on my drink and I'm sorry that I, I wasn't able to mute the mic in time, man. You just cracked me up, bro. But I was thinking the same thing, bro. When you were talking about how he's had all these different personas, I was like, man, I hope this is the last one because man, you hate I mean, absolutely hate to see this happen, right? When it comes to combat sports, this is the pinnacle of all things you don't want to happen, right? You don't want to end up sticking around a little too long and have these performances where you're visibly slower and you're visibly um, on a different level of 
than the competition you're facing, right? And I don't mean that in a good way, like what we've seen out of the main event, you know, Adesanya's striking is on a different level than Paulo Costa's. What we've seen uh, as far as Diego Sanchez and, and Jay Matthews, man, it was like it was like they were on different levels. It was almost like amateur to professional because Diego, and I don't mean to shit on Diego, but Diego is just – he's been in wars, man. you got to wonder – uh, what kind of toll not only that takes on your brain but on your body and uh, um, you know he had Stefan Bonner in his corner you know this was 16 years in the making you know because he was on uh, Stefan's team on uh, the, the ultimate fighter excuse me um, but I just I'm done with Diego man I'm done with his hack job of a fucking coach in, in Josh Fabio or Fabio or whoever this dude is also, I don't know how 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 long are we into this recording, Cody? Uh, just about five six minutes. Yeah, even... and I already dropped a fucking f bomb because of Diego fucking Sanchez <laughs> and his shitty coach. I, mean, I was really trying to do good tonight. It's just a crazy thing that you know. I mean, it just still blows my mind. And yeah, there's a lot of fighters who, who linger around too long. But you know, that's something the UFC for some reason has always had just a bad. And, and look, I get it. You know, Dana's got a, a soft spot for the, the tough one guys and the guys that are pioneers of the sport. But you know, MMA is such a weird sport where it's, it's almost like, you know, if you're in the NBA or you're in the NFL and your body starts to fail you, you start to go downhill fast, you know, you get replaced uh, by an up and cover. And that's one of the real bad parts about combat sports is you really don't have to stop, you know, and, and that's, we've seen it so much in boxing and, and boxing still above MMA in that regard where, I mean, you know, guys put their lives at risk by fighting too long in boxing where, you know, after their last fight, they're never the same. And luckily in MMA, it's not that we've not really seen a case that bad yet with a mainstream guy, but every year it feels like we're getting closer with, you know, I mean, think we're just, you know, three years removed from the last Chuck and Tito fight. That's freaking crazy to even talk about the fact that Chuck and Tito just fought a few years ago. And Diego Sanchez is, you know, every fight he, he looks worse. And, uh, of course, he's had some moments where, you know, he's, he's, he, he still obviously is able to fight. And that's the, the thing. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, look, we, we all know as, as, you know, you and I as fighters and anybody listening who's got any, you know, athletic background, you don't want to ever quit and, and throw the – you know, throw the towel in, especially if you're Diego Sanchez. And I mean, you're, you're still getting paid regardless of the fact that you're getting, you know, beat by a lot of different guys and get beat pretty bad. You're still getting paid. But I mean, this is when the UFC has to step in and go, man, we appreciate you. There's a hall of fame spot with your name on it from just, you know, all the fights you've been in, all the stuff you did back when from being, you know, the ultimate fighter one, he's already in the hall of fame for that great fight. I think he's in the hall of fame for a fight, right? Is he in the hall of fame for uh, a fight? For Clay, Clay Guida. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in the hall of fame for a fight. You got to think he's in the hall of fame as an individual as well. He earned title shots. He, he has some great moments. He's just a character, but this is when the UFC has to come in and go, all right, man, you know, we've, we've ran its course. Like we're not going to be the ones responsible if you choose to keep fighting. And we've seen that from a lot of guys who leave the organization and keep fighting. But, I mean, if you're UFC, you got to take this off your hands. But you would hope people close to Diego Sanchez, like Stefan Bonner, would go, let that, let, let, let that be it. You know, let's, let's call it right there and let's, let's move on to other endeavors, you know, whatever that could be. I mean, have Diego, you know, host a show. Let's give Diego a try as being a, a, a Fox analyst or something. You know, I'm all for that. You know what? Actually, I've been thinking on this, right? And uh, not to sound salty or anything, I don't want Diego – near a cage 
frankly, yeah. right? I mean, I hate to sound salty, but but truthfully, you've been in wars, man. Clay Guida. Um, gosh, there was another one that I, I honestly thought it might be um, the one that he's nominated in the Hall of Fame for. I'm trying to think of it right now, but it, I mean, he's been in these absolute wars, man. Um, and, and it's to the point where we've seen this shift in Diego's persona over the years, right? You know, when we first seen him in Tough One, he's this, this young kid, and he slowly kind of grows into being an adult. Well, now he's kind of – I don't know, man. Now he's kind of uh, – he's kind of getting a little weird and, and getting, you know, kind of out there. Uh, Gilbert Melendez was that fight that I was thinking of. It was fight of the night. You know, he's yeah, done a lot yeah. of fight of the nights, man. Uh, fight of the night with Jake Ellenberger, you know. Um, you know, uh, Jim Miller, Joe Lozon, Ally Quinta, you know, that knockout, and then the Matt Brown knockout after that. Uh, you know, he's been in a lot of wars, man, and I just – I don't want to see him near a cage. So, give him a job at the UFCPI. Let him teach fucking yoga or whatever Josh Fabia is teaching him, whatever they're doing out in, out in Albuquerque. I hate to sound salty, but I really do not like that guy. I don't like the fact that that guy is in charge of someone else's health. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but but let Diego teach yoga at the UFCPI. You know, you guys you guys done it with Forrest. You know, Forrest has a full time job at the PI. You know, we done it with Chuck Liddell for a while. You know, Chuck had a job. I don't even really know what Chuck done, but he had a job. You know, um, you know let let him. You know, let some of these veterans kind of have this. Uh, you know, these analyst spots or these full time coaching gigs at the. Uh, at the PI, I think I might just need to shut up because I'm coming off really salty, but I just hate seeing a fighter take this unnecessary punishment, man, you know, coming from like a coach's perspective. Like I just absolutely hate that. Um, and you know, Saturday night was no different, man. It, there's no, like, there's no excuse for, uh, letting your fighter just get absolutely pounded, you know, with no game plan, seemingly no game plan whatsoever. Uh, and that's what we've seen Saturday, man. So I've, you know, I would love for Diego to retire on a win, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of he's kind of in that BJ Penn spot where, you know, you want BJ to go out with a win, but you don't want him to step back into the cage to get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean the UFC's kind of ran its course there. I mean, do you, when it, in terms of matchmaking, you know, the UFC made it seem like they're sort of setting him up for a win, where they put him with, you know, Craig White back in 2018, and Diego won that fight by decision. That was, I mean. To me, that was the final fight. It's a pay-per-view fight against a guy who's you know not ranked, not near as big of a name as you, and you get to go in there and you know have your last hoorah. Here's your last fight, and then you know a few months later he he comes back and he fights Mickey Gall. Well, all right, well this is a, a pretty interesting fight because it's Mickey Gall who you know is really the one of the weird people in the sport for who he's fought and who he is and stuff. And, and Diego gets that win there, and it's almost like boom, you know now you've got these two wins and out of nowhere it goes from, you know, that was when he was talking about, I want to make another run of the title. Like, no, no, you don't runs it to Kiesa. And Please then, don't. Yeah. You know, the Mikhail Piera, you know, controversy. That's not, you know, that don't even shouldn't even count as a win for Diego, but nonetheless, I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, I hate the idea of, you know, a matchmaker being put in a position to book you to get a win, but the UFC has done it for many guys. And, you know, they're just that, you know, they're that type of organization where they will do that for some of these veterans. But, I mean, if you don't take advantage of it, if the UFC is literally giving you a fight that you are a heavy favorite and you should win just based on your veteran instincts alone and you go in there and you win and then you want to keep fighting, 
I mean, that's just when I always look at it from, you know, and definitely you don't come off soft to me because you're looking at it as a coach's perspective. And see, I look at it as a promoter's perspective. Like, why would you even want this on your hands? Why would you even risk this? Why would you risk putting in there him in there with, you know, a young Jake Matthews who's hungry, who's just now putting everything together? Matthews, the guy who's been to the UFC since he was 20 years old, who's just now starting to add everything in and becoming a solid fighter. I mean, Jake Matthews is the guy who could be the top 15 here within a year if he just stays active. Oh, it's, absolutely. So, I mean, you're throwing him in there with a dude who, who's legit could be a contender in this division. I mean, you're just feeding Diego to the wolves. So, I mean, you can look at it however you want, man. You know, Dana's always a uh, tough – it's tough to crack Dana and Sean and how they match certain fights. And it really felt like two years ago they set Diego up with a, a retirement, a farewell pay-per-view fight, and here we are 2020 talking about him getting, you know, another one-sided loss. So I hope that's the last time we really have to talk about this. I really – I know there's a ton of fighters who just don't know when it's their time. And it's one thing if you're, you know, in your early 30s and your chin's just failing you, but this is not that situation. I mean, there's – there's just no reason to have Diego still fight. So uh, from your, you know, your standpoint, from the coach's view, it's just, you know, it's just lackluster to, it's just bad coaching overall to keep putting your fighter out there. But from a promotion standpoint, I mean, this is when you have to sit him down and go, if you want to keep fighting, you know, we can't stop you, but it won't be here. So I, I hope that's, I hope that's the direction we're heading. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, to kind of sum up some more of that, um, more to that prelim card. Sorry, I, I was reading there for a moment. Um, Brad Riddell, <clears throat> excuse me, Brad Riddell and Alex De Silva, uh, you know, kind of headlining the prelim card. That was a pretty good fight. Uh, good showing from Brad Riddell. Pretty good showing for Alex De Silva as well. I want to jump to um, the fight that that started us off, kickstarted us on the main card. Hakeem Dawadu and Zubaira uh, Tuka Tukagov. Did I did I butcher that? Tukagov. What is it? Tugahov? Wait, I'm on. Tugahov. Tugahov, yeah. Man, me and you are just some, some good old boys. We kind of got it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was, a, that was a really good fight, and I think it was really good showing for uh, for Hakeem. I did not like, and I, I keep bringing this up on the podcast, I do not like these refs getting upset about swearing. Uh, Hakeem, you know, kind of telling him in the third round, you know, let's fucking go, let's fight. Um, you know, Hakeem was, Hakeem was very animated. He was very in the moment, you know, you've been there before, you know, in a fight, you know, you kind of know, uh, you know, fighting is very primal, man. Your emotions get the best of you sometimes. And, and Hakeem was right there. You know, he, he fought a good fight. And in that third round, you know, he got a little uh, upset that Zubara was backing up. And uh, the ref kind of said something to him. He said, hey, no swearing. I, I don't <laughs> – it's so small, man. But it, it's so small that it just it bugs me every single time, man. And, uh, you know, honestly, like, I don't have that much of a potty mouth. You know, so I can't, I'm not one of those guys that's like trying to, trying to say, Hey, you know, we should be able to curse freely everywhere, but right. you're, you're in a fist fight. Somebody's trying to put the other person's lights in. Yep. I just don't see, uh, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand that, but it was a very good showing for, uh, Hakeem, uh, Dawadu, and he, he's going to be easily, um, easily top 15 at, at featherweight, maybe top 10. Is that kind of the the prediction that you've got? You know, I, I will. I still. He's just been in such weird fights here lately. He's got a very awkward style. Uh, here's the thing about the cursing uh, in the in the octagon or in an MMA fight. Uh, I 100% agree with you. Where I don't understand 
the the basis of it. I mean, if you're, I mean, how many you know fights you see or or disagreements? I mean, cursing is just one of those natural instincts that happens when you're in a fist fighting scenario. But I will say this: it is in the official commission rules that you aren't supposed to swear in the octagon or in oh, the in a fight. So really, it, yeah, it's in the official rules. Oh. Uh, I read that in Big John's book a long time ago when. He received heat when he used to yell at Nick Diaz in some of Nick Diaz's early fights. And Big John said, look, I got no problem with it, but it's a rule. It's literally in every single commission rule that you're not, you're not allowed to swear or, uh, I guess, really insult in the cage. And I don't know where that came from or who, who started that rule set, but it is an official rule uh, everywhere. I mean, I definitely know from the state of Tennessee from when I used to do like rule meetings and stuff, uh, we would tell them, you know, not not to be swearing it and, and you know talking directly to your opponent. Now, of course, you would have guys say little things here and there, say "come on" or "let's go," and that's one thing. But it is a rule, so I just want to throw that out there. I agree with you. I think what? I think that's a crazy rule. It's one of those wild ones, but it is a, an official rule. Can I just go ahead and say I believe that that rule probably got started because of Nick Diaz. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a wild thing, but I mean, it's such. It's such, you know, like, I don't it's know. Weird. It's a, it's a weird rule, and I don't know who it protects. I think it was probably made around the time the, or well, it's been around for a long time, but I would say, really publicized when the UFC went to television. Uh, That's what I was about to say. Yeah. And and then you know the Fox thing was crazy. You know the UFC made the huge mistake of putting Nate Diaz on all the Fox cards, and every time <laughs> something happened. So I think uh, it's just it's just a crazy thing. But I do know <laughs> that it is an official rule. But going back to Hakeem Dadu, he's a very I mean he's got such an awkward uh, fighting style. But I do love I mean especially considering he's a featherweight. Man, featherweight's so fun. Being a matchmaker would be a crazy job, but having this featherweight division would make you so excited. I mean, there's so many things, so many ways you can go, and so many guys who are in and out of the division, uh, so many guys getting thrown around, uh, th- names thrown around right now in terms of, of different fights that could be on the horizon. Um, when you look at that featherweight division, and I know Hakeem said, you know, obviously he was cursing and upset because he wanted to fight, and he, and he felt uh, Tugadoff was sort of uh, running away from him or not wanting to engage right in the middle. Um, so. Those fights are always tough in terms of you know scoring and things like that. But I definitely thought Dawadu did the most was the most active and landed the most shots. Uh, so big fights could be for him. I mean, you want to look at you know fights down the line. Um, phew, I mean, you could really go anywhere. Uh, one name that always jumps out to me just because he's not very active, but I love watching fights. Arnold Allen is the guy who's yes. sixteen and one and undefeated in the UFC. But it's just hard to keep him active and find good fights. So you would love to see if you can match him up with somebody like a Dawadu. And uh, just really have them go at it. Arnold's another guy who's got just great pressure uh, fights with just, you know, he's always in your face. So that's the kind of fight that I would, I would love to see. And that's one of those fights where I would have no problem, especially in the current UFC environment where they're really just throwing fights together and almost like flipping a coin to see what the main event is. I mean, if you can get those two on board, go five rounds, you know, let them guys have some fun there. Uh, if you want to put two prospects together, which I think now uh, Dawadu Arnold probably both, you know, past the prospect line where you can actually match them up. Uh, Danny Gay is another name that comes to mind. Uh, Shane Burgos still sitting around waiting for his next fight. Uh, you got a guy like Cub Swanson, who's a veteran, who's coming off that huge win over Chrome uh, Gracie. So a lot of names you can play with in that featherweight division if you want to move Dawdu into the top 15, top 10 direction. Hell, you even have Chrome Gracie too, which you know absolutely would be good. Another name that you didn't mention, I know he might be on the sidelines for a little bit, it's Duho Choi. Yeah. 
uh, could be a really good fight. And even, you know, if he's fighting this weekend, but Charles Jordan, you know, is another really good name. Um, I really liked uh, Hakeem, though, and, and more so, uh, like, his fighting mood, his personality, too. You know, that's that's kind of a cool thing that we've been seeing uh, with all these fights, like, that are kind of happening during this kind of quarantine slash post-quarantine um, uh, time period is we're getting to see a lot of these fighters' personalities, and, and Hakeem definitely has a personality if he can just keep performing. Uh, as of right now, you know, 12-1-1, and one, not a very bad record at all. Uh, after that, you know, Ketlin Vieira and uh, Sajara Eubanks, you know, all 15 minutes, and uh, the decision went to Ketlin Vieira. And then my personal fight of the night, Kai Cara France and Brandon Royval. Holy shit, man, that spinning elbow in the first round. Oh, man, that was absolutely beautiful. Brandon Royval comes in at 12-3. Uh, and three, and ends up uh, getting the upset victory in uh, in the second round by submission over Kai Kara France. So that was uh, that was definitely my fight of the night, and I definitely I can't wait to see Brandon Roy Val get back in there. And, and afterwards, he kind of said he kind of spoke down on his performance. You know, he didn't really uh, enjoy his performance too well. I absolutely loved it um, in this flyweight division. Now that you've got. Um, now that you have Cody Garbrandt moving up and, or sorry, moving down and going into the title picture, uh, where do you kind of see the the rest of this this division kind of playing out, Cody? Do you do you think they move someone like Roy Val kind of into that top five, uh, or hell, even into title contention this quickly because he was the LFA champ? Uh, you have a guy like Brandon Marino. He's kind of on the sidelines. You know, he was an LFA champ coming back to the UFC who also beat Kai Car France. What is what is up with them giving Kayakara France these LFA champs and and uh, he's actually lost to two of them now in a row. Um, but where do you kind of see this flyweight division going post Cody Garbrandt, uh, Davis, and Figueredo? The division's wide open. That's one of the cool things about the flyweight division. For a while, it, it was it was tough to really match make and book because guys were falling out and guys were signing and immediately jumping into the top ten. So the good thing is now that we've had about a year of this new look flyweight division, things are starting to develop. Uh, Kai Kara France, a guy who's just you know very well rounded, has got a big record. You know, twenty one and nine now after that loss. Uh, he's fought some good guys outside of the UFC. Always been very active. And I really thought coming into the fight on paper, it really looked like, you know, he was the favorite. He was way more well-rounded. Uh, Roy Valdo is just, just so – just goes right at you, and he's so fun to watch. Obviously, he, he's his biggest critic. He was, um, you know, emotional after his last fight, that, that just wild fight against Tim Elliott where both guys were so gassed. But, you know, Roy Val ended up getting the submission, and he was very upset with his performance there. Uh, he looked much sharper, much quicker uh, in this fight. I really loved his performance. Two and zero in the UFC. Uh, I think really in this division, it, it's a uh, it, we're looking at a situation where you have a title fight, a number one contender fight, and then almost a number two contender fight to make. Obviously, Figueroa and Garbrandt will be your title fight. That's going to be your headliner. Uh, you got to remember the UFC has booked on that exact same card on November twenty first, Brandon Moreno against Alex Perez. That's sort of like the backup fight if something oh, happens shit. with Figueroa or Garbrandt missing weight or something. Moreno and Perez will be there to back up. But if everything stays intact, what's going to happen is you're going to have Figueroa against Garbrandt to decide the champion. And then you're going to get a clean-cut number one contender with Moreno, who's been on a tear lately with wins over Formiga and France, and then against uh, Alex Perez, who's you know maybe one of the most underrated guys in the UFC, period, as he's had back-to-back -back finishes as Jordan Espinosa 
and Jazier Formiga. So that's that's the big number one contender fight. And I think with Roy Val, it just makes sense to put him with Askar Askarov. I mean, uh, Askarov's uh, 12-0. and His one draw was against the now uh, number you know two contender in the world, Brandon Moreno. So he's right there in the title mix as well. So I, I think that would be a great direction to go with Roy Val. you got a lot of big names in this division. Of guys who are on the up and up. Uh, of course, uh, Tim Elliott just got a win over Ryan Benoist, and he's always sort of right in the mix there in terms of just making fun fights. Uh, the UFC's also got uh, a few other guys who are uh, coming up who have looked exciting. You also wonder if we're going to see uh, Joby again, and who they would put him with. You know, they put Joby with an up and comer to kind of te- you know give or you know a veteran versus an up and comer fight. Uh, what they do with uh, Benavidez will be pretty telling. But uh, Tyson Nam's another guy. You know, I don't think he'll. I think he may stay at bantamweight from here on out. But if he does decide to come to 25, uh, that's another interesting name to throw in that division as well. So uh, it's a fun division. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of moving parts. But I do think you've you've now kind of got a clear look at your title picture with a title fight, a number one contender fight, and then of course with Askarov and now Brandon Royval right there in the mix to. Uh, be in contention. So uh, I think what you said last, I think in terms of, of picking up the win, that was what the UFC did with this Royval uh, France fight, Care France fight. It was really seeing which guy is sort of just in the mix and which guy could be a, a legit contender uh, for 2021. So I'm excited, man. I like, you know, I think Royval's record, you know, kind of, you know, 12 and four is nothing crazy to look at. And when you're talking top five, uh, but I think he's there. I, I think he's the guy that's just, Got a, uh, he's young, he's fast-paced, as all these flyweights are. I think uh, him and Askarov will be a fun fight because Askarov's going to uh, try to stall and you know, use his grappling and his uh, strong wrestling and tire out Roy Val because we know he doesn't have the best uh, cardio. Uh, but Roy Val will go for finishes. He'll go for submissions from everywhere. So uh, I love that fight. I hope that's something UFC tries to get done here uh, pretty soon because I know Askarov's uh, been out for a little bit and he's ready to go. And Roy Val looked like he came out of that fight pretty unscathed and excited to get back in there. We know he likes money because he's talking about quitting his day job. And now he said with two bonuses in a row, he's done with his day job. He's going to focus on fighting. So I'm sure he's going to be ready to go sometime before the end of the year. Absolutely, man. And, and I like the Daskarov matchup. I really like that. I also really like Brandon Roy Val versus, uh, versus uh, Marino. You know, that, that, you know, two former LFA champs, um, you know, could be, could be fireworks in the making, you know, and, and what's really cool is that Cody did come down to flyweight. I know a lot of people are kind of talking shit about that decision, but I actually really like that, man. And, uh, you know, no matter where we go after Davison Figueredo versus Cody Gorbrandt, you always have to kind of think one of those guys will be uh, now, like, available to fight after that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we can, um, we can always throw – sorry, <laughs> I'm having a very hard time – uh, speaking tonight because I left straight from jujitsu and came right in here. Uh, so you guys will have to excuse me, but you know, we could also throw, you know, let's say Davis and Figueroa wins, you know, uh, Brandon Roy Val against Cody Garbrandt, you know, or, or Davis and Figueroa against, against Brandon Royale, you know, depending on, uh, Roy Val, excuse me, depending on who wins, but that's a really fun division too. And a lot of people kind of knock it because there aren't a lot of finishes and here's Brandon Roy Val saying, Hey, check us out, you know, <laughs> Yeah, there's still some other guys who don't get a lot of talk in the division. I know uh, David Dvorak, who had that big win last week, or uh, either a week ago or yeah, two weeks ago against Espinosa. Yeah, last weekend. And uh, your guy, who, who's not fought yet, he can't get a fight. What's his name? The guy from uh, – uh, uh, I forget his name now, but he signed with the UFC, and a lot of people think he's going to jump right in and be a top-ten flyweight, uh, but he's not got a fight yet. They're still trying to match him. 
What is his name? Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, there's uh, TJ Laramie Cape. who just fought, and then there's who? Cape. Uh, Manel Cape, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, came over from Ryzen, yes. Yep. Yes, so that's that's such a cool division right now. It's one of those one of those divisions where like the fireworks haven't went off just yet, but like they're about to. You know what I mean? Like the wheels are kind of in motion. Oh yeah. Um, now, Cody, I hate to do this to you, bro. I absolutely hate to do this. You know what I'm gonna do, right? What are you doing, man? You were talking all that mess last week about how Dominic Reyes was gonna decision out Jan Blahovich. <laughs> man. <laughs> Okay, so I tweeted Cody, everybody, just so you're just so you guys are all aware. I tweeted Cody as soon as this fight was over with. And uh I mentioned, you know, if you bet with me, you know, you're gonna make some money. <laughs> um Jan Blahovich had a incredible performance over Dominic Reyes, though, man. I mean, uh, you know, taking like our personal picks out of the equation, Jan Blahovich's body work was just so incredible in that fight. Dominic Reyes had a bruise on his ribs. Uh, on the left side of his body just after the first round man absolutely beautiful body work but then he comes out and, and gives Dominic Reyes a free nose job in the second round and uh ends up ends up getting the uh the TKO was it a TKO or was it a, a KO it was a TKO it's a TKO yeah yeah gets a TKO finish uh Jan Blahovich immediately kind of tells John Jones hey be quiet calls out DC uh <laughs> Dom Reyes done the exact opposite of what I thought he was gonna do he's actually very humbled and uh I'm actually really excited to see where Dom Reyes goes now and where Jan Blahovich goes you know you have that Tiago Santos rematch uh since the uh Glover Teixeira fight keeps falling out you know you always have um Anthony Smith, you know, who's kind of right there in the mix. You also have a new uh, kind of contender at, at light heavyweight, uh, Yuri. Um, gosh, what is his last name? The, the he just beat. Uh, pro, uh, what is it? Pro, 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 yeah, pro, pro, pro yeah, pro <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've got uh, you've got Yuri Prozak right there in the mix. <laughs> um, you know, it's that's a cool division now post John Jones, which I truly was kind of worried about it. Um, but honestly, I'm not sure how Jan Blahovich even lines up with a, a Tiago Santos in a rematch. You know, Tiago Santos is a powerful guy at light heavyweight. Uh, Yuri Prozac, you know, I know I'm butchering his name, but Yuri Prozac, you know, coming out in the, uh, um, gosh, in the Ozdemir fight and finishing Ozdemir the way he did. You know, he's a, a definite contender at, at light heavyweight. Uh, of course, you have Dom Reyes. You know, it's kind of kind of going to be on the back burner for a little bit. But you also have guys like Glover Teixeira. There's a lot of fun matchups to make right there. Where are you kind of seeing this division going? Like, where do you think we go now post John Jones with Jan Blahovich as the uh, as the champ? Where do you think the UFC would probably be um, like in the best bet of matchmaking? Well, it's it's tough, and I'll say this: you you called that fight perfectly. Uh, I. I looked a little bit past Jan Blakovich because I've just seen him at times. I, I'm, I was used to the old uh, Jan Blakovich, and I sold him a little bit short because, again, I just thought Jock Ray at the end of his rope, Corey Anderson, very overrated. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, that Polish power is real. He came out with a great game plan to work the tall, more lanky build of Dominic Reyes. He worked that body. Reyes has got you know a, a bit of a high stance. You know, keeps his hands real high. Works that body. Of course, what happens when you work the body, Josh? The hands lower down a little bit. Blakovich came out of that second round and went straight to the boxing, and it was just such a beautiful 
game plan and it was executed to absolute perfection. Uh, and I'll say this though, for the UFC, they watched that fight and they all said, man, are you serious? Like Dominic Reyes, you just went to decision with John Jones, John Jones, <laughs> John Jones retiring to avoid the rematch. That's how we're going to sell it. That might not be true, but that's how we're going to sell it. Oh, this is the guy John Jones didn't want to fight. And then you go get knocked out by a guy where most of the media couldn't even say his name. They just said new lightweight, cha- new light heavyweight champion. So the UFC's probably rubbed the wrong way by this. And the worst part about it is uh, they have really no star power in that light heavyweight division. So what that means is for casual fans, they don't care about this division anymore. For hardcore fans, you got some fun fights. Uh, the Tiago Santos fight, and look, uh, the Glover Teixeira fight was was fine. You know, Glover's on a tear. Glover's sort of like Blakovich. You know, he went through that rough stretch where he just couldn't put it all together. And he was getting chin checked, uh, get wrestled, get taken down, get popped, get dropped, just couldn't put it together. And all of a sudden, he takes a couple months off, kind of, you know, changes the things up in his camp, and boom, ageless wonder. He's back again with, with big wins. So I'm fine with Glover and Tiago a few months ago. Now it's ran its course. The fight, I mean, here's the thing. Going off topic here, just real quick, Josh. If a fight falls apart more than twice, you should scrap it. Don't do it anymore. It's a sign from the fight gods. It's done. <laughs> we have seen the UFC try to book the same fight 14 times. Uh, the Kutaleva fight has fallen apart six times. They're still trying to do it. No, take it off. The Cyril Gain fight, try to do it four times. No, get rid of it. Look, man, if Khabib and Ferguson are ever healthy at the same time the UFC tries to book that fight, they're stupid. At least don't make it a headliner. It should. I mean, if Khabib somehow loses to Justin Gagey and Ferguson still has nothing, book that fight and make it a co-main event because it's cursed. But anyways, Tiago falls off with COVID. Glover falls off with COVID. I mean, right there, I mean, not at the same time either. You got to just scrap it. The UFC has said they're still doing it November 7th. Uh, I, at this point, think you just throw that fight away. You tell Tiago, look, man, get ready because you're fighting. You're fighting for the light heavyweight title probably <laughs> probably first of the year, maybe late December. Because um, you got to remember, Tiago Santos knocked out Jan Blakovich to earn the title shot against John Jones. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, February of March of last year. So we're not talking about a fight that happened years ago or, you know, back when – Whatever. I mean, this fight was literally just a little over a year ago. I mean, in terms of how close, how soon it was, Tiago Santos, it was his last win. Now, of course, he's been out for a while because he had the double knee surgery, but still yet. I mean, that was literally his last win. So I really think, I mean, there's your selling point. Blakovich is on this tear. He's won three straight fights against Shakare, Anderson, Reyes, just knocked out the guy who went decision with John Jones. You know, there's your, you know, you could sell that all, you know, all you want. Here's the guy who knocked him out a year ago. It has all the writing. Uh, of course, it sucks that we're in the situation we're in pandemic-wise because the UFC is only going to the apex and to Fight Island. If this fight could go to Poland, you know that that really creates you know that's when you have your star power. But with the inability to, to move around and travel, uh, that really hurts when you have a guy who's like a, who's a Polish champion because you know you're really only able to promote that from you know Jan or from to his people you know for, for him the ufc can't really promote it because they can't go there and we know how they are in the past with you know yana your jacek you know they, they took her to poland they said oh my god we got a polish champion guess we're going to fight so that that's the one part that rubs the ufc wrong way about international champions right now and uh you know look they were building dominic reyes that's just as simple as that but uh well heavyweight division's got a lot of potential 
Uh, of course, Erie's want to know. We all are re- real excited for him, but only want to know the UFC. From everything I've heard, the UFC is going to headline a show um, November, maybe December. Maybe it's not going to headline. It might co-headline. I don't remember if it said headline or co-headline, but he's going to fight Alexander Rochick, who just got that big win over Anthony Smith. So those two are going to fight. That's a huge fight because either guy could get a win and really jump right into title contention. Uh, especially if Tiago and Glover falls off again, because it will, because fight gods don't want it to happen. So if Alexander Rochik and uh, Yuri fight November, December, uh, the winner of that fight could easily become number one contender in this light heavyweight division. Because, man, I mean, let's just be honest. There, there's just not much here. This is a division that got cleaned out by John Jones uh, almost twice. Well, I'm sorry, got cleaned out by Jones, got cleaned out by Cormier, and then got cleaned out by Jones again. So, you just don't have a lot there, and it's almost what we've seen in the past from the flyweight division. What we've seen, what we see currently with the women's bantamweight division, where things just really need to reset. Because um, I mean, you know, I mean, you might see some things I don't, Josh, but I mean, you know, you have Tiago Santos and Glover, you have Rochick and Yeri. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, Johnny Walker, if you maybe can get him on a winning streak and get him back in there pretty soon. Um, am I am I missing any anybody? You know what I'm kind of thinking though for this division, and I, and I apologize uh, for forgetting Alexander Rockets, who just had an absolutely incredible performance over uh, Anthony Smith. The the way that I'm kind of looking at those now, we have a division that's almost the entire top ten is almost built around dynamic strikers. Yeah, you yeah. Know what no I mean? You have you have Jan Blahovich, Dom Reyes, Tiago Santos. Um, even these guys who are excellent grapplers, you know, Jan Blahovich has a fucking black belt, you know, yep. Tiago Santos black belt, um, you know, Glover Teixeira, Alexander, uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Alexander Rakich. I mean, you have these guys who are absolutely great grapplers, but they, they tend to rely on striking. So you're always going to have these really cool matchups no matter what. And I think that maybe this is the time that, you know, you're kind of right. This is for, uh, a little bit of a time for a reset, so maybe kind of build you some stars here. You know, let let some some pretty fun uh, stand up bangers happen. You know, build you um, a, a kind of like a rapport of you know a knockdown drag out kind of division, and then kind of let it you know kind of build itself back up. Jan Blahovich uh, taking on Tiago Santos again. I just don't know if that fight goes any different the second go round. You know, agreed. Jan Blahovich is a, a whole different animal, and, and you kind of have to wonder, you know, Tiago Santos had, was it double? Yep, double. Uh, eight, double ACL? Yep. Him? Yeah. So you kind of have to wonder how he's going to move after that, uh, you know, if that if that's going to kind of uh, affect his performance. If it does and Jan Blahovich gets past him, I'm not saying we're looking at a second John Jones uh, kind of run, but, you know, Jan Blahovich could have his way with the, you know, the top five, top ten. Uh, of this division the one thing though that we definitely forgot to mention though is the fact that anthony rumble johnson is now back in the usada testing pool yep um and i know that he said a couple times he wanted to return to heavyweight um but i seen a photo of him earlier today and he was actually looking really lean so you know that's kind of one of those things that's always kind of right there uh neither here nor there but you know anthony rumble johnson does have that one hit knockout power um, and then you kind of have to wonder, you know, where does, uh, uh, where does Alexander Gustafsson go? You know, does he kind of hang out at featherweight or I'm sorry, <laughs> featherweight fucking a <laughs> terrible. 
uh, you know, does he hang out at heavyweight? Uh, does he retire again or does he kind of come back down to light heavyweight? You know, now that, yeah. uh, you know, now that the, the curse of John Jones has kind of left, uh, you know, left yeah. him alone for now. Well, just there's one name uh, we're not talking about. Uh, can I try to guess it? Sure. Okay. Hold on. Uh, it's not Ryan Bader. No. Okay. Hmm. It's not DC, is it? No. Okay. I give up. What do you got? It's John Jones. Oh, shit. Because at the end of the day, all John Jones wanted was a reason for the UFC to pretty much beg him to come back. And what you have now is a situation where this is a guy you've not fought uh, or a guy you've not been in the cage with, a guy who's called you out. And, I mean, if again, I, I don't – I feel weird talking trash about Jan Blakovich because he made me look stupid over the weekend. But let's face it, John Jones is a – I mean, that's a great matchup for John Jones. I don't see John having any issue with Blakovich. So if John is just in the mood to come back to 205 and fight for the title again, which the UFC will have no problem pulling the trigger on because, like I just mentioned, the division has no star power with Blakovich's champion, John Jones will come back and the UFC will have him with open arms and headline a pay-per-view and throw that out there, and boom, you're back in the same place you were a year ago because – John Jones has an easy run to the title because there's just nobody to stop him. And I think in hindsight, John Jones had a great point. There was no reason to rematch to Dominic Reyes because you were in a no-win situation. You come in there and win. You beat this guy who's got less than 15 overall fights. You beat him twice. It doesn't do anything for you. But now you have a guy who is the only light heavyweight champion outside of UNDC for really the last 10 years, basically. Now you can come back and you can end that reign too and just continue to prove that you're, you know, the greatest of all time at light heavyweight for sure, maybe the greatest of all time, period. So I really think, I really do think John Jones is all in on fighting someone like Stipe. But I do think now, and I even think he tweeted, should I, I think he tweeted, uh, should I come back to the division just for fun or something like that? I mean, and that's how John is. I mean, John is a petty guy. John's a guy who, uh, what's the, he likes to play with his food. And I think this is what he sees. He sees now a new face, someone that never intrigued him because this is a guy who never won more than one fight in a row in the UFC. And then all of a sudden, he, he rails off these three big wins, earns a title shot in a division that John had completely cleaned out. But here's one name that slid through the cracks. He never got right there to the John Jones fight. And I think you know, John looks at this and he goes, ah, well, I, I, I could just make one more 205 cut. You know, if Stipe says he wants off until the first of the year, you know, Blakovich didn't have a very hard time. He didn't get beat up too bad. Why not John Jones come back and fight in December against Jan Blakovich, take the title back, and then go retire again and go to heavyweight? I mean, I really think, I mean, I, I think, you know, it may not, from, you know, the UFC's perspective, they would just roll their eyes, but then they'd go, yeah, sure, John, do whatever you want. Because I really think John is the type of fighter and the type of person that uh, this will this could get those those fight juices going just just a little bit just a little bit uh as much as i've i kind of agree but i kind of don't and i think the the reason is john jones is the number one pound for pound fighter in the world right now without a title um so you know obviously the talent the skill level uh you know it's there regardless of having a title or not i think now it's the monetary thing so I think when you kind of look at it, a Jan Blahovich versus John Jones match will do pretty decent numbers. But if Stipe does want to wait out until the first of the year, a Francis Ngannou John Jones match does probably double the numbers, right? Oh yeah. So I'm not sure. 
the UFC would have to really do some some negotiating with John. And, you know, we've kind of seen this this narrative play out a couple different times where John's kind of tried to negotiate for more money, or, or seemingly that's what it seems like. He's trying to negotiate for more money. UFC kind of says, eh, no, whatever, you know, we're good. And then John, you know, kind of just retires. You know, he pulls the Conor yeah. McGregor. Thanks for the cheddar. Thanks for the cheese. Whatever. See you later. Yeah. Um, you know, he kind of pulls that. I'm just not sure. Um, would I like to see it? I would absolutely love to see John Jones versus Jan Blachowicz. But that is because, and you know, you're, you're in the same boat as me, Cody. We're, we're absolute fans of the sport, you know. So we kind of see it uh, for more than just like the monetary value of it. Um, someone in the USC's perspective, probably not seeing it that way. Or if they do, hopefully they see it that way because that would be an absolute great matchup. Um, but, you know, in the event that, that that doesn't happen, you know, I'm perfectly fine either way. You know, I I like John Jones, um, you know, for his in-cage uh, yeah, antics right. more, more right. than the out-of-the-cage. But, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm cool either way. I like Jan Blahovich as the champion now. I'm just not sure how long that sticks. Like I said, if he can get past Thiago Santos, I have no, no doubt in my mind that uh, – you know, he can probably he can probably last for a while. And, and you know, John Jones at heavyweight, you know, taking on Francis Ngannou, that's a cool matchup. Uh, you know, the Stipe matchup's really fun. Even, hell, even Derek Lewis versus John Jones would be absolutely phenomenal in, in my yeah. mind just for the, you know, the kind of star power that both guys can, can kind of bring. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where uh, it's, it's a very tricky – uh, situation, no matter re- like which way you look at it. The reason I think that the UFC's just got a weird obsession with titles, though, and with with fighters and big fights having a, a belt or a title. So you know, if you know, we say the UFC is pretty much you know telling John Jones and telling you know the heavyweights, look, man, we're 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 gonna do Stipe Naganu first. I mean, that's the whole plan. And when you look at how the UFC is matchmaking the heavyweight division, that's what it, I mean. To me, that fight is pretty much a done deal. We just don't have a date. I would have to think that Stipe Naganu is definitely happening. So if that fight's being scheduled, being worked on, being negotiated, because you know how guys already know they're going to make that a big fight. Uh, if you're negotiating that for January or February, I'm just saying, and I don't think the UFC is going to call John Jones. I think it's the other way around. I think John Jones will call the UFC and go, well, you know, if you're not going to give me a heavyweight title fight, I'm not going to fight a non-title fight, you know, against someone who's, you know, not in the top 10. Because, again, as you mentioned, John Jones is looking at money fights, and what he's doing is looking at fights that only value him going forward. If he goes and fights a super non-title fight against any other heavyweight in the world right now, it just doesn't benefit him really at all because there's risk. I mean, you could easily get popped at heavyweight, get knocked unconscious, and then there goes everything. So for John, I feel like from his standpoint, if the UFC says, look, 100% Miocic Naganu 2 is happening 20, early 2021, I could see John Jones being like, well, who are you going to have, you know, Blakovich fight? And they're going to go, um, and right there, John will jump in and say, I'll do it. You know, let's, let's do it. Let's get it booked. Pay me, you know, whatever we were, you were paying me to fight, you know, Dominic Reyes, whatever, because I think John Jones will look at that fight and again, I'm trying to get in the head of John Jones, which is incredibly hard to do and, and a scary place to be. But you I need more coke. <laughs> yeah, I think John Jones looks at that fight and does not see a lot of risk. That might not be a great idea, may not be a great game plan. It could bite him in the butt real fast. But I, I just feel like knowing John Jones from what we've seen of him in the past, that could be something that intrigues him. Just the idea of, well, you know, I'm not going to get that super fight right now. But if I could fight Blakovich end of December, maybe early January – 
Maybe the UFC waits for Super Bowl weekend. They pull the trigger on the heavyweight fight between Miochik and Naganu. Boom. Let's just get really ahead of ourselves in this fantasy world. John Jones wins the title. Stipe defends against Naganu, or Naganu knocks out Stipe. Right there is your super fight. There's, there's no questions asked. You, you go right forward with that fight. So that's just sort of the way I look at it from a standpoint. And then the UFC has their super fight. Again, Dana White, the UFC brass, they, they have you know this fascination with titles and with super fights being champion versus champion. Uh, you know, that's just where they're at. That's why they do so many interim titles. They love posters with two guys with titles. They love it. So I feel like if they have the opportunity, uh, they will be more than happy to pull the trigger on that. Because, I mean, I, I've seen people this weekend, and we're, we're about to talk about that, but people are saying, you know, this light heavyweight division's weak. Israel should move up. I, I just don't think anyone's paying to see Adesanya against Blakovich. It just, it's just not there. So, uh, if John Jones calls the UFC, they're going to answer. And if he wants to go back to 205 and fight Blakovich, especially since, and again, I'm not really trying to trash Blakovich at all. He, he's had a great run. He's got some very, very good power. Finishing Dominic Reyes is an, a, a great win, an incredible feat. And without, champ, you know, without question, new light heavyweight champion, deservingly so. But without the ability to fully promote him in his home country right now due to the pandemic, the UFC is going to be gung-ho for getting that title to someone who's got some more mainstream, some new, some more headlining ability. So if John calls, the UFC will answer. That's just sort of my, my thinking on it. Now that you've kind of broken it down like that, I'm kind of under the same, uh, the same assumption that you are. Um, you know, that could play out. And, you know, you mentioned a second ago, what if there is no Super Bowl Sunday? You know, what if, yeah. you know, that, that little timeline right there, uh, you know, what if they fill it with, you know, a John Jones, uh, you know, fight, you know, because that's the kind of thing that, A, the UFC would love to do. They'd love to fill that little time slot where most people are, you know, having their Super Bowl Sunday tailgating parties and then they, you know, they go in and watch the game, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that now. You know, John Jones kind of will hang hang on to those, um, those kind of bigger fights. And, and I think, you know, if he's looking at it as a reasonable person, a belt, you know, on his arm moving into that kind of that super fight definitely does uh, help the star power of that fight a little bit, but yeah, undoubtedly so, you know, anybody tunes in for a John Jones fight uh, kind of regardless, because, you know, we talked about it last week, Colby Covington has the same star power yeah. uh, where people will tune in just to see you fight because they want to see you lose. Yep. yep. Um, you know, so he, he, it's very hard to tell where they go with that. Congrats to Jan Blahovich. And then I, you know, I'm not shitting on him at all either. As I've said, if he can get past Tiago Santos in this rematch, absolutely, he's going to tear through this division. Uh, I really want to see what Yuri uh, uh, Prozac does moving forward. You know, if if he has another really good performance, you know, we could be looking. He could kind of be the next John Jones. You know, you never truly, uh, you never truly know. Uh, without further ado, though, Cody, let's get into this main event, man. What a what a fight. Me and you both kind of called it. Uh, Apollo Costa, this was his 14th fight. For Israel Adesanya, this was his 100th fight. I mean, this is one of those fights where you can truly say, from start to finish, one person was just an absolute step above the other one. Uh, you know, Apollo Costa, a lot of people are making this argument. He didn't really fight the way that he normally does. Did you watch the Teddy Atlas video earlier? Which video? Uh, it was a Teddy Atlas video. Teddy Atlas broke down 
uh, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa, and he he kind of mentioned Paulo Costa's body language, which is the reason that I'm bringing it up. And he was he was kind of saying that Paulo Paulo Costa coming into this fight was the intimidator, and he kind of uh, you know fight week he was the he was the intimidator in the cage he was the intimidated and. Uh, you know, I have to, I have to 100% agree. I mean, Paulo Costa, you know, people, like I said, people are saying, oh, he didn't fight his usual game plan. It's because Israel Adesanya does not give you time to fight the way that you want to fight. You know, uh, a lot of people are criticizing that UL Romero performance, but I mean, Israel absolutely shut it down. You know, he didn't, he didn't give UL any room uh, to kind of go wild, you know, and, and we're kind of seeing a finish in, in the Paulo Costa fight, very uh, reminiscent of the, uh, Robert Whitaker finish. Israel Adesanya striking is just on a whole different level. And I tweeted it the other night. I think Israel Adesanya is probably the greatest striker in the UFC right now, uh, 100%. I mean, there's there's no question about it after that performance. You know, using the leg kicks. Uh, you know, he had some pretty good body work, and then just just putting the little cherry on top and finishing him. Uh, there's not a lot to say about that fight other than Israel Adesanya is just leagues ahead of of pretty well any striker in the UFC. What I really want to get your opinion on, Cody, is this post-fight celebration. We have seen the memes. We have seen every single fight fan in the world break down this post-win hump that Adesanya had on uh, on Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa has now reacted. He's absolutely pissed. He wants a rematch because of this. Cody, break this for me. Break this down for me. I can hear you laughing, man. Oh, I can look. barely say it without laughing. Oh, look, man. If Paulo Costa is mad that he got hump post-fight, well, dog, don't get beat and get turtled <laughs> up. I mean, I mean, that's where that – I mean, you cannot – you cannot be I – mean, look – no, everybody has, you know, they're going to lose a fight sometimes, okay? I mean, that's that's part of it. Even Israel Adesanya, 20 no MMA, this is the guy who's lost. You know, he's lost some Muay Thai kickboxing fights before. He knows how it is. Uh, but that's that's the problem. If, if you lose, I just don't understand how, how you can really complain about celebrating. I'm someone who's played literally almost every sport there is, from ball sports, team sports, individual sports, whatever. Uh, and I never understood how people could be so butthurt about guys celebrating because – you just don't really always know what you're doing, man. Think about when when Steve Pay won that first fight against DC, and he started doing that dance. And afterwards, they were like, "What was that dance?" And he said, "Did I really do that?" Like he didn't even really know what he was doing. Now, I'm not saying Alessandra did because I'm pretty sure he knew exactly what he was doing because even <laughs> he even said some crazy things to his coach afterwards. Um, oh, look, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, so. Adesanya is a character, and he's a little bit out there. Uh, but look, man, you cannot say – I mean, because you notice the crazy thing. Paulo Costa did not say he won a rematch because he came out shelled up, because he came out a little bit intimidated, because he came out and was a little overwhelmed. He wanted a rematch because he got humped post-fight. Like, no, man, you, gotta, you need to go back to the drawing board and maybe try to figure <laughs> out why you got outclassed so bad. Um, look, I agree, though. Adesanya – uh, I, the Anderson Silva comparisons, I don't even agree with. I just think Adesanya is – I think Anderson Silva played mind games. Uh, he really got you locked into almost a gaze, and they would tee off on you just how well he countered you. Uh, Adesanya is a perfect mix of counter-striking and calculated aggressiveness, and it's so pretty to watch because he everything is so pinpoint. I mean, he's one of these guys where, I mean – 
he could win a fight by just throwing head kicks repeatedly because eventually he's going to break your forearm. And then it don't matter if you block it or not. They're just so hard, but they're so, they look so pretty. I mean, they really look so pretty. Um, but he's got just such clean striking. He knows how to use his range. He just really teed off on him. And uh, there are a lot of people who read this fight perfectly. And I read a lot of people who said that Adesanya will literally calculate and, and just pinpoint and just have their way with Paulo Costa. And uh, I, I felt like maybe. Uh, Costa's chin would hold up a little bit better. I worried about his cardio, but I thought his chin would hold up a little better because, look, man, he went right at Yoel Romero, and Romero was hitting him with truck punches, and Costa was – he went down once, and after that he ate them all. And, uh, I mean, I literally thought his jaw was broke that whole fight. I mean, his jaw was fine. So I really thought his chin would hold up, and Adesanya just – I mean, it's, again, it's, there's just a big difference in hitting someone as hard as you can and hitting someone on the button. And that's what Adesanya was doing. He, every time he landed – on Paulo Costa, it was on the button, whether that was the legs, whether that was the body, or whether it was that perfect shot to the chin or to the dome or to the back of the ear. All those shots were so clean and so perfect. Uh, Adesanya is going to be a hard guy to beat. He really is, man. And uh, we, we talked a little bit in the Discord earlier this week. And looking at this middleweight division, uh, you know, I, I just – there's some great fights on the horizon, and there's some great names I just I don't see one. I, I don't see a name that makes me go, ooh, now that now look, they may be good fights. There may be some fun fights for Adesanya, but in terms of uh, who gives him the most competition, uh, who who could go in there and possibly have the right game plan, who could beat him, there's only one guy that I think of, and it's the guy that nobody wants me to say. Other than that, I, I really think Adesanya takes care of this entire top ten of the middleweight division. I mean, I think we're, we're closing in on another situation where, I mean, next man up, next man down, next man up, next man down, where I don't, you know, Jared Cannonier, Jack Hermanson, Darren Till, a rematch with Whitaker, all these fights I feel like are Chris Weidman. Yeah, that's not, that's not a tree I'd be barking oh, about, Chris Jesus. Weidman. All those guys uh, I don't think get out of uh, 25 minutes without Asanya. I think when you look at it, uh, you know, Jared Cannonier's kind of been on a tear. I would, uh, if he can beat Robert Whitaker, but that's the thing, if he can beat Robert Whitaker, and I'm just not sure that I see it playing out that way. Uh, Robert Whitaker has a lot of dog in him, man. And, you know, you kind of seen it in that first fight with Adesanya. You know, Robert came in and kind of fought overly aggressive. And, and yeah. the thing about Israel Adesanya is you're absolutely right. He has this absolute pinpoint precision that he will just pick you apart with. He's like a surgeon, man. He just – he's so precise. But what he does is he lures these people into these really calculated brawls. And that's why we've seen kind of the same finish of Robert Whitaker uh, kind of with Paulo Costa, you know, kind of the same way that they fall, the same way that he kind of mounts and finishes. Is he kind of – he kind of lures you into his zone where you almost think it's safe to start throwing punches. And he's just counter-striking the shit out of you. Um, you know, I think a really fun matchup for Izzy – uh, is that Darren Till fight? You know, I know Darren might be sidelined a little bit with his ACL injury. Uh, Darren Till is one of those guys. You know, he's a very precise striker as well. You know, so I just I think for the fun of it, you know, that could be really fun. I think a Robert Whitaker rematch could be pretty fun. But I'm not. I'm in the same boat as you, man. I'm not seeing any um, competition, truthfully, for that title until he does truly move up to the light heavyweight, like he's kind of been talking about. If that's the case. Then I know for sure John Jones would, would think about coming back down uh, just so he can kind of shut up those uh, comparisons. But it's kind of 
it's neither here nor there. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to watch it play out because we're truly watching another John Jones situation kind of play out or an Anderson Silva situation kind of play out where you're right. One, one up, one down, one up, one down, you know, and you're kind of, I feel like we'll get to the spot where he's starting to take on number three and then number four and then number five, you know what I mean? Like it's not even going to be number one contenders. It's going to be who's next. Uh, for Adesanya. The one thing, though, that I, I kind of spoke on, on, you know, my own personal podcast about, Israel Adesanya has had 100 fights. I just don't know that I see him having a long career. Does that make sense? Because he's been in a lot of fights, man, 100 fist fights. Uh, just the toll that it takes on your body, you know. I would love for him to be able to retire undefeated. Um, but I just I can't see him sticking around long. Uh, at all and I hate to be a Debbie Downer because I do like Israel Adesanya but I just I just don't see him sticking around very long at all you know so I think we're gonna have a really good champion in in Izzy you know he's been pretty consistent Um, as far as he you know he fights you know fairly um, often you know in the previous champ Robert Whitaker you know that was one of my favorite fighters, but, you know, Robert's downfall is he's kind of spent his prime uh, being injured, you know, and, and that's, that's one of those things you can't really help, you know, even if you're training super, super carefully, you know, you can't really help your body uh, failing you, you know, Dom Cruz lost a lot of his prime that way. Yep. Um, but I just can't see Israel having a super long career. Um, I did, I was looking at my notes a moment ago, man, and I sent you this Chris Weidman thing earlier because Weidman says that his, he is the tailor-made matchup for Israel Adesanya, man. <laughs> I, I just, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. I, heard, I heard you laughing. Oh man, uh, that is wow. no, no disrespect to the legend that is Chris Weidman, but man, you, you, we got to see you fight someone in the top fifteen before we start doing that. I mean, you barely got past Amari uh, Akhmedov, who gassed out after the first round. I mean, I we think got tailor made for retirement. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, there's there's some fun fights for Chris Weidman, but I mean, I really think we're we're talking more like gatekeeper fights and middleweight's uh, an explosive division, man. And, and you mentioned it. There there are some good fights, but I mean, they're just going to be one versus two, one versus three, one versus four. The good thing is, is now we kind of just you know guys are going to be trying to look impressive to try to earn that next title shot because Adesanya sort of called out Jared Cannonier in a, in a ranking way where he pretty much said that he felt like Kennedy was the most deserving uh, if he defeated Robert Whitaker that fight's coming up on October 24th you have Darren Till and Jack Hermanson officially booked that's on December 5th um, not that this fight's relevant to the title picture but you got Uriah Hall and Anderson Silva on Halloween you got Marvin Vittori who you got to remember if, if we're talking about all the guys who have tested Adesanya the most it was Marvin Vittori who is 5-2-1 and one in the UFC and on a three-fight winning streak so just a kind of name to maybe keep a little bit of an eye on because he is an up-and-cover he was real young I mean he's still real young but that was a uh, early fight for Adesanya and uh, Vittori sort of uh, you know tested him a little bit I believe that was uh, the second fight in the UFC for Adesanya yep. and uh, no, Vittori I, it was a split I, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. I tweeted that over the weekend. That Marvin Vittori win is going to get sweeter and sweeter as time goes on because oh. that guy. Yeah. yeah. Top, I think he's top 15 now. So, I mean, he's he's snuck into the top 15. That's just a name to watch. And he's going to fight the guy we just talked about, Omari Akhmedov, uh, on December 12th. So, uh, he's on the come up. And, uh, you know, I love Chris Weidman, but there, there's other things to do there. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what, uh, you know, maybe – 
Chris Wyman should rematch Kelvin Gastelum maybe because, again, Kelvin Gastelum gave Adesanya fits, and now he's lost two fights since then. Uh, but just just things to remember that Adesanya, you know, he's almost almost like he fights up to his competition. You know, uh, of course, the Robert Whitaker fight was most anticipated international fight in UFC history. It's a second round knockout. Uh, the Romero fight, we kind of thought, you know, well, this will be, you know, fun, super fun fight. And it was a lackluster five round blah fight. Uh, Paulo Costa, you know, that was the, the one fight we could really see Adesanya getting chin checked. Not didn't happen. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, Adesanya has got a style for everybody. And again, that is my only comparison besides being a talented striker, uh, you know, to Anderson Silva. Silva was the same way. You put Anderson Silva when he was champion. I mean, when you put Anderson Silva in fights against these, uh, these big names, he put on these big time shows. But when you had the sort of secondary title fights that maybe a lot of people didn't have circled, uh, Anderson Silva just sort of went through the motions. So could kind of be what we're seeing here, you know, Adesanya fighting different levels and different style fights. So that's just something to, to sort of watch for. But uh, just some of those middleweight guys. And look, man, People aren't going to like this, but I'll say it on the podcast since I said it in the Discord. I mean, there, there's one middleweight that I kind of look at and I go, that in, that's intriguing. And I'm very ahead of myself, but uh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I think if, if we keep on this path, I think Kazmat Chemaev is a, is a name that people should just keep an eye on in the middleweight division. I know he's, a, he's better suited for 170 pounds. But if the UFC is going to go all in with him, I think they should put a little bit more focus on him as a middleweight because the fight between Chemaev and uh, some of the, let's just be honest, the fight against him and Usman uh, doesn't really intrigue me that much. The fight against Chemaev and his aggressive, aggressive, aggressive style, if he keeps on his path. Now look, Josh, don't 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 get all crazy on me. I don't want that fight to happen in a couple months. I think I need to see at least two to three more Shamaya fights before we're there. But I'm just saying, going forward, because I mean you got to remember, two to three Shamaya fights could be in two to three months. So I'm just saying, going forward, if we get to January and February and Shamaya has beaten some other middleweight, beaten a top tier welterweight, I think the UFC should put all their eggs in the middleweight Shamaya basket. Because I do think that's an intriguing matchup. Hell, I think two to three fights could be in two to three weeks. I mean, really? He's going, man. Uh, you said a minute ago you didn't want to see Chimaya versus Usman. Yeah, it's because you're not watching fucking Flow Wrestling. You're watching yeah, UFC. Yeah, yeah. That could be, by all accounts, the most boring fight that the UFC has ever seen. I mean, it'll be inter- interesting for us, but they definitely don't want Chimaya versus Usman. No. Um, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think Chimaya at middleweight is um, kind of a surefire way to go. However, he was offered the fight against Stephen Thompson. And we've still not seen him match up with an elite striker. So how he does against Stephen Thompson will kind of dictate how we, we feel about him fighting uh, Adesanya moving forward. Because you got to think, if, if Israel Adesanya is the number one, uh, you know, the greatest striker in the UFC, Stephen Thompson is top two or even, you know, maybe number three, depending yep. on who you, you were to put on that list. You know, I, I tweeted a list over the weekend. And I'm still kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should change this person, this person. But Stephen Thompson's definitely on that list. So a Chimaev-Thompson uh, matchup would be nice to kind of have as a precursor to see 
uh, you know, how he would he would match up against uh, Adesanya. And, you know, I'm man, the only reason that I'm saying no to Chumayev Adesanya is because I just think the talk is a little too early. If in, you know, the next two or three weeks he racks up five or six fucking wins because that's the way that Chumayev is going, uh, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. I just I just feel bad for these guys who, uh, you know, are, are sticking it out and, you know, they're – kind of hanging tough and you know they might get passed up you know which if you get passed up by a guy that's more active than you then you know it's kind of your fault but uh you hate to see a hype train be the reason that people get passed up you know what i mean that's why i just want him to kind of take it slow don't overwork yourself you know because you know we were talking a moment ago adesanya you know 100 fights at his age already you know he's not going to have a super long career you know dom cruz spent a majority of his prime um on the sidelines to injury you know one of my all-time favorite fighters, T.J. Dillashaw, is now spending part of his prime uh, being suspended. You know, John Jones has done the same thing. So you don't want to see these guys have shorter careers because they tried to uh, push a little too hard and overwork themselves and, and, you know, maybe burn out that candle just a little too soon. So I'm perfectly fine with it, man. Um, go ahead. The, the way I look at it in terms of, you know, kind of what you're saying, burn yourself out, though, is – we do know that that fighters have a short lifespan. So I think it's good, you know, in a sense that Shamayev uh, is coming out of these fights unscathed and going, I'm ready to go. I want to get to my next fight. Cause we're, we're kind of in an era now where guys will, will fight and regardless of how their body's feeling or whatever, they'll take time off, which is perfectly fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, I'm someone who's never fought. I think the closest my, I ever had two fights in a row is like three to four months. Like I've never fought very frequently. Uh, but, a lot of guys, you know, they're the same way. They want three to four months in between fights just to have a little time at home, a little time not cutting weight, time to get back in the gym, get in shape, time to go through a training camp and then to fight again. And to do that properly, you probably do need about, you know, somewhere between 90 and 120 days between fights. But what will happen is you will have guys every so often that come up like a Chemayev who does not have that same mindset, who is always in the gym ready to go. And that is why they, they will pass you up for these opportunities. But, uh, you know, I, I love it. I, you know, the welterweight division, man, is so fun in terms of all the fights you can make. And of course, now we've had a lot of these fights over the last couple of weeks, you know, for the past few weeks on the show, man, we've been talking about all these fights happening. And now the division's sort of clear. Uh, you have the title fight between Usman and Burns, but everything else is wide open. Um, so, you know, from, from your standpoint, you know, where do you go with, with a lot of these fights, man? I mean, you have Colby Covington, uh, you know, I think him and Jorge Masvidal makes the most sense. That's a five-round super main event. Um, they're putting it together as we speak. See, I, I think that's that's a great idea because, you know, the Diaz fight just doesn't do much for me. Uh, but what happens is you really get the big name left out, and that's Leon Edwards. And I know Chemayev and Thompson was talked about. I know Chemayev and Edwards was briefly talked about, which is something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. So I'll take full credit for that if that does happen. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of names here, man. Uh, I still really don't have an issue with doing Chemayev and Damian Maya because, again, Chemayev's 9-0. But I do want to see him again against an elite striker. Uh, there's a lot of names, though, that people aren't talking about. Steven Thompson's a guy who people talk about right now because of Chemayev. Before that, nobody talks about him. What's Michael Chiesa doing? I mean, he's ran through welterweights. Now, of course, they've all been uh, welterweights in their twilight in Condit, Sanchez, and Dos Anjos. Uh, but I'm ready to see him in a big fight. Uh, again, you know, of course, Woodley and Diaz are kind of the, the names there that we don't know what they're doing. Nick Diaz is another name that's sort of there, but, you know, we don't really want to get too ahead of ourselves there. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos just got a fight booked. Neil Magny's got three big wins. 
there's a lot of things happening at welterweight. Jeff Neal still undefeated in the UFC. You know he's looking for a big fight. Uh, Vincente Luque, I know I heard he was trying to fight again before the end of the year. Nico Price has come out and said he wants another fight as soon as possible. Sean Brady is 13-0, and he's an up-and-comer in this division. Claudio Silva just got a fight booked. Uh, that's going to be a fun fight. So, I mean, dude, this divi- this welterweight division is right up there with, uh, with uh, featherweight, in my opinion, as just the most fun-to-match division. But there's still a lot of fights that are just open right now. So, in terms of going forward, uh, whether you include Shamayev or not, you know, just look at this division and I mean, where are some of the fun fights? I mean, just look at all these fights. There's so much fun to be had here over the next six months with just the welterweights. Absolutely. And, and to kind of add on to what you said a moment ago about Chumayev being in the gym a lot, uh, I actually had this in my notes. Chumayev supposedly lives in the top floor of his gym. Perfect. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, and uh, another thing to add on to, you know, you brought up Nick Diaz a moment ago. I also had it in my notes. Carlos Condit called out Nick Diaz recently and said that, uh, Hey, you know, there's still a little bit of bad blood here. You know, we're kind of in that in that point in our careers. You know, let's kind of settle it. So, yep. uh, I'm we talked about cool that last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely cool with that. You know what matchup that I would kind of be interested in seeing now would be Nate Diaz and, and Tyron Woodley. You mm-hmm. know, depending on how long Woodley's out for. You know, I I really like the Jorge Masvidal, um, Colby Covington matchup. You know, while while Burns and Usman fight for the title. Leon Edwards and Steven Thompson is kind of one of those things where if you don't get either one of them to Chimaev, let them fight each other. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Just kind of, you know, feel that little space right there. Two good strikers, you know. Uh, you know, let them fight it out and kind of build this uh, kind of number one contender spot. You know, Jorge yep. kind of had his turn at the title. So, you know, he's fighting Colby, who's also had his turn at the title. Uh, you know, that would obviously be your number one contender fight. And then Steven Thompson and, and Leon Edwards for that next contender spot. Uh, or potentially uh, the title picture, depending on if if Colby or, or Jorge were to get hurt, or you know, hell, even Usman or Burns were to get hurt, you know. Yeah, right. Just as like a fill-in, um, I'm with you on the Chimaev going to middleweight, so I'm kind of taking him out. But yeah, Kiesa's right there, man, and I would love to see Kiesa and uh, and Chimaev. You know, Kiesa is one of those guys that has excellent pressure on the ground, man, and he. He's one of those guys that kind of gets looked over, and I've tweeted it a hundred times, man. Kies is my dark horse at, at welterweight right now just because of how good he's actually looked, you know. And even, you know, you take in uh, his most recent loss, you know, was to Anthony Pettis. That was a fight that he was he was doing pretty well in until he wasn't, you know. So, yeah. um, you know, I like Kies at this division. and I, I really like the idea, the prospective idea that we could get a Kiesa and Shemaev, uh, you know, little grappling match. Because that would that would also be just as telling as uh, a Chamaya versus a Thompson or versus a Leon Edwards, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of on the boat with that right now. I, I think now that, you know one thing about Mike Kiesa is I wonder what's going on with him. Like I wonder why he's not been active a lot lately because that would be a name. I've just now I've never even really thought about this before, but I wonder why his name's not brought up with Leon Edwards because that would be an intriguing fight. I mean, if they really are working on Stephen Thompson and Chemayev, just because I do think they want Chemayev to fight a striker. Uh, Mike Chiesa and Leon Edwards would be a, a fun matchup. I, I think he was hurt. I'm honestly, I'm not for sure. Uh, I know he's doing a lot of the broadcasting stuff, a lot of the analyst stuff. I think it was because he was hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to find the injury now. Um, uh, yes, okay, yes. Yeah. So he shared on August, well, that was August the 1st, that he 
uh, was recovering from an injury. So uh, hard to tell how long until he would be, until he would be back. But uh, you know, what we actually didn't think of earlier was Steven Thompson could potentially move to, to middleweight as well to take on Izzy. That'd be Ooh. definitely, that'd be a fun matchup right there. Yeah, that would be a great matchup. Actually, just two weeks ago, Michael Chiesa called out Stephen Thompson for a fight. Ooh, that'd be good, too. So there's a lot of things happening. I mean, there's, there's so many openings. And, and of course, you know, there, you mentioned dark horses. Jeff Neal is, is still my dark horse in the division just with his power and everything he can do as long as he's healthy. Uh, he's I'm afraid guy, to see Jeff Neal fight because that'd be a mean, fucking heart attack. I mean, you know, with wins over or Nico Price and Mike Perry finished both those dudes. I mean, that's a scary guy to fight. I know him and Neil Bagdy was supposed to fight, and I do think that fight probably is getting worked on it again. And, um, I mean, there's just Neil a Magdy lot of guys was rumored for Shemayev as well. Yeah, and Neil Magdy hopped on Twitter quickly and accepted it. Um, there, there's a lot of big names. Uh, I guess I'll throw out this name too because he's on a winning streak and he actually has got a KO win over Neil Magdy, but we never know when we'll see Santiago uh, Posanibio again. I mean, this dude just comes and goes. I mean, it's like he's fighting, he's a title contender, and then he disappears for you know 18 to 22 months. And then he's back, and then he's a title contender, and he looks good, You know, knocks out Gunnar Nelson. And then he's gone for another 18 months. So if he ever pops up again, that's a, that's a big name to, to keep an eye on as well. If he's coming back, man. So that's a, I love welterweight and we'll talk more about the welterweight division on the next episode of baseline MMA, including a preview of a welterweight fight going on, on the upcoming card. Plus a whole full in-depth breakdown of everything you need to know about UFC fight night home versus Aldana. That's coming up on the next edition, part two of baseline MMA. Thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. For written previews, recaps, and more, plus NBA, NFL, and other sports coverage, visit our website at BaselineTimes.com. Follow the Baseline MMA Twitter for live fight coverage every weekend. For TJ, Josh, and Cody, until next week, thanks for joining us on another episode of Baseline MMA. Baseline MMA.